edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday, June the 21st. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises engineer John Plush, Duncan Wynn sitting in the wings, um, and round the table with me is... Judith Doherty, Audrey Luxton, and completing the um, clerical work has been Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency and useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. We'll open the birthday book later on. We'll also have obituaries and thought for the week a little bit later. We have the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times, and then stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, in Worcester, WR5 1DA and we do thank anyone who does contribute it does help enormously with replacing equipment and so forth we do like to hear from you if you have any suggestions for improvement complaints or compliments add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905767766 but please remember we're not here every day so be patient for a reply I'm going to hand over to Audrey now for the useful and emergency telephone numbers. Again, our number here in Wild Lane, 01905 767 766. The Malvern Theatres are 01684892277. A number for non-emergencies for the police is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. The Norbury Theatre at Droitwich is 01905 770154. NHS Direct is 111. For out-of-hours medical assistance, it is 0300 123 3211 between the hours of 6 and 8pm. The Infirmary Museum is 01905 542373 Thank you Audrey Now before I hand over to Judith for what's on in the local area um, just a reminder um, we do have an extensive library of talking books fiction, thrillers, romance 
Um, there are, they are available in many formats, tape, CD or perhaps USB stick if you prefer. We can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy, tape or the USB sticks. So leave a message on the answer phone or put a note in your Talking News wallet. Now, we are mentioning our golden anniversary and everybody is invited to join us on Saturday the 28th of July here in Worcester at the Commandery to celebrate. Um, it's between 2.30 and 4.30. Uh, we will have demonstrations, music, live music, displays, refreshments and everyone is invited, listeners, families, friends, neighbours, all comers, okay, really welcome, and we, we hope to make it a really uh, special day. I'm going to ask uh, Judith now to tell us what's on in the local theatres. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, right, in the Malvern Theatres on um, June, the, Tuesday the 26th to the Saturday the 30th, um, is Sebastian Falk's Bird Song, um, and that's a stage version by Rachel Wagstaff. Um, evenings 7.30 and Wednesday and Saturday matinees 2.30 and then on Saturday the 23rd of June one night only 7.30pm the Malvern Festival Chorus um, is putting on a German, the German Requiem by Johannes Brahms and uh, Hear My Prayer Felix Mandelson and the Malvern Festival Chorus with the Regency Sinfonia. Tickets £16.80, concessions £14.56. And, um, yes, what time is that? Um, 7.30, 23rd of June. The Welsh National Opera are proudly presenting a marvellous musical entertainment, Rhonda Rips It Up. That is on... Tuesday the 26th of June, 7.30. At, um, and that is uh, a riotous stomp through the life of Margaret Haig Thomas, Lady Rhonda, the Newport suffragette, whose activities paved the way for women's rights in the personal, professional and political worlds. Um, Friday the 29th of June, at 7.45pm, Avi Avital plays Vivaldi and that is, um, he is one of today's most exciting musicians, accomplished in a range of genre and a regular commissioner of new works for the mandolin. On Thursday the 5th of July, 7.30pm, Armonico Consort, the choir of Gonville College, Cambridge, um, supersize polyphony um, and the choir of the Gonville College at Cambridge experience the world of Talis 40-part, um, oh gosh, Spermin Allium and Strigio's 60-part mass and you'll be immersed in a 360-degree surround sound. Uh, something different now. Uh, Malvern Civic Society, Civic Week, um, Friday the 29th of June at 4.30pm. 
an illustrated talk by Dr. John Harkup, OBE. Um, he's a local historian and he traces what made Malvern famous down the centuries for um, the water cure uh, that came to Malvern, um, I think, in the uh, 19th century, I think. Rocks, water, health, music and radar all made Malvern famous. Um, hello again, Neil Diamond, on Saturday the 30th of June, 7.30pm. And then finally from Malvern, the ELO experience, which is on Friday the 6th of July, 7.45pm. Uh, the legacy left by Jeff Lynn and the Electric Light Orchestra barely needs any introduction. Now on to the Swan Theatre Huntington, Huntington Hall. Um, Saturday the 23rd of June, 7.30pm. The story of guitar heroes. Um, and if you like music and guitars, you will love this show. Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Hank Marvin, Brian May and The Slash are just some of the outstanding guitar heroes you will have the chance to experience in one amazing show. Friday the 29th of June at 7.30pm. Um, this is at the Swan Theatre. The Simon and Garfunkel story. And then back to the Huntington Hall on Saturday the 30th of June at 7.30pm. Um, oh, Neil Diamond again. So you can see him. If you miss him at Morven, you can see him at the Huntington Hall. Um, and uh, another couple. Um, at the Swan Theatre, the fifth Thursday, the 5th of July at 7.30, King of Pop, The Legend Continues, starring Navi. Um, get ready to moonwalk the right way at a show whose star performer, Navi, who once earned a standing ovation from Michael Jackson himself. Marty Wilde and the Wild Cats, Friday the 6th of July at 7.30pm. An opportunity to experience on stage one of rock and roll's original pioneers. Marty, whose career began in 1957, amongst the very first British singers to play a leading role in the early formative and groundbreaking rock and roll years. Um, and I think that's, yes, and that's, that's it for now. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. And now Audrey will tell us about this week's headlines and sunrise and sunset times. Thank you. The headlines. Sex attacker jailed. Another one gone. Race time. We're living in fear of fire. Cost of moving counties obese. And the battle to keep student in the UK. Sunrise is at 4.47, sunset at 9.33, making it the longest day. So, with the first of the headline stories is Judith. Thank you. A sex attacker groped a terrified stranger on his wedding anniversary after stalking her through the streets of Worcester. Jeremy Anderson's carefully planned attack, captured on CCTV, 
was branded chilling by the judge who jailed him at Worcester Crown Court. The 41-year-old groped the screaming woman aged in her 50s in Croft Road near the railway viaduct, putting his hand over her mouth and pulling her on top, um, oh, pulling her top up before he fled. The attack by the sexually frustrated and self-confessed Christian took place on the day of his eighth wedding anniversary to his estranged wife. The father of two of Bromyard Road, St John's, had previously admitted the attack, which took place at around 5.25am on December the 12th last year. Anderson began to follow his victim outside the Crownsgate shopping centre, stalking her along a bridge in front of the hive before he struck near the viaduct. Daniel Oscroft, prosecuting, said she could smell the leather on his gloves. He gripped her around the face, covering her mouth and nose. He pulled at her top, pushed his body against hers in what was described as a sexual motion in an attack which lasted around 30 seconds. She flagged down a driver who took her to the police station where she reported the attack. Anderson walked along the butts to the railway station at Forget Street where he ducked his head after spotting a CCTV camera. At the station, Anderson changed his clothes, taking off his hat, removing his dark coat and changing into a light grey and or cream quilted puffer jacket. He changed platforms, boarded a train but got off again before it departed in an attempt to blend in with commuters during the morning rush hour. Anderson claimed he changed because he, his new, the new coat was warmer and said he was trying to catch the 6.02am train to Birmingham to see his estranged wife for their anniversary. However, he never caught the train and ended up getting a taxi back to his Worcester home. He also had not told his wife he was coming and the prosecutor said it was an attempt to create a cover story. Anderson was identified by work colleagues and fellow students following a police appeal. The defendant was completing a diploma in education from the University of Worcester and had ambitions to become a teacher. He had told his fellow students that a man's God-given right is to have sex and that if a couple had an argument, the woman should still give the male sex. The court heard he also said women like it rough, which he claimed was a reference to Fifty Shades of Grey. On his mobile phone, police found articles and images relating to women being groped and sexually assaulted in public, as well as hundreds of pornographic images many of women in their 50s. A harrowing victim impact statement described how the victim suffered from anxiety and depression, could not sleep, felt exhausted, was unable to use public transport or walk in quiet areas, could no longer visit her family and had considered moving away. She was even afraid to visit her father's grave at the cemetery because it was so quiet there. She said... My anxiety was so bad, I was physically sick in the street. I don't think things will ever be the same again. The defendant gave evidence and said, I believe, as a Christian, sex is an important part of marriage. 
the woman should not deprive the man or the man the woman. When asked why he stopped the attack, he said, I recognised immediately what I was doing and how wrong it was. It was, I woke up and came to my senses. He said he only decided to attack the woman when he realised he could not get an earlier train from Shrub Hill Station. But Judge Nicholas Cole said, as I have seen from the CCTV footage, it is clear you were stalking her from a distance until you saw the opportunity to attack her. The judge jailed him for three years and ten months at the time he spent um, to remain since the attack. A Chinese restaurant in Worcester City Centre has closed suddenly with a new bar apparently set to move in. Yu Canteen only opened on Monday, January the 22nd in Angel Street, but after less than six months, the restaurant has now closed. Traders in the area say that an independent bar named Mojo will replace the restaurant. Joe Birch, the manager of the Horn and Trumpet pub next door to the former restaurant, told the Worcester News that the owners of U Canteen just weren't making any money. He said, I've spoken to them and they said they weren't making the money they expected to be making, so have had to close. Mr Birch said that the bar due to move into the site is not part of the national chain Mojo, but a smaller independent brand under the same name, which currently has a bar in Wrexham. The new Angel Street business will apparently have a 360-degree bar and also serve fresh food. Mr Birch said, I think it will be nice. It will bring some trade into the area. News of plans for a new bar came as a surprise, as last September an application to turn the former co-op store on Angel Place, Angel Street sorry, into a Victorian-style gin palace was turned down, which Mr Birch said he was gutted about. He said, it would have been good, it would have brought trade into the area. Worcester City Council's licensing subcommittee rejected the gin palace plans after police and other local authorities spoke out against the Amber Tavern's proposal, arguing that it would be an increase in late-night disorder in the area. That area of Angel Street now has several derelict buildings and is a hot spot of violent crime, said a report from Worcestershire County Council last year. That report stated that the street had a high rate of alcohol-related crimes, including assaults and public order offences. I hate it, it's horrible, said Mr Birch, about there being so many empty, run-down buildings on the street. People need to invest in this street more to bring some more people down, but people don't want to when it looks like this with all the derelict buildings. U Canteen took over the site formerly occupied by all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet Angel Chef. That restaurant abruptly closed in 2015, beg your pardon, 2015, and the premises had been left empty until U Canteen moved in, with the owners promising to recreate the atmosphere of Chinatown with fairly priced food. Worcester City Council said they had no knowledge of plans for a new bar named Mojo moving into the premises.
crowd saw off the 96 competitors in the fourth stage of the women's tour from its start in Evesham and roared them home to the finish line in Worcester. The long straight of Hilton Road was transformed into a track mirroring the race course just over the River Severn for the race sponsored by OVO Energy. And hundreds of fans lined the streets of the city to see the women's race. Gideon Thomas, 40, had come from Bristol and staked out a good viewing point two hours before the riders were due. He said, I've come especially for the race because it's the nearest stage for me. I've never been to Worcester before. It looks great. I walked through from the railway station. I think I'll definitely come again and have a look around. I'm a fan of both men's and women's cycling and I think it's great. This is such a prestigious race. It's really a shot in the arm for cycling. Ruth Haynes had come a somewhat shorter distance. She was standing on Sabrina Bridge, just yards from the finish line, and had come from Cherry Orchard. She said, This shows Worcester can put on really great events. I've lived here all my life, and it's really improved its sporting provision. It's great to have these sports here for everyone. Cutting a dash in breeches and argyle socks and a beret was Jerry McGar, who had ridden in his vintage kit on his vintage steel bicycle from Gloucester. He said, I used to come up in the old days to see the Worcester Evening News road race. It was one of the biggest in the country. You didn't get crowds like this, though, and it shows how popular cycling is. Exactly how popular was heard when the riders flashed by in a mass sprint finish. The roar from the crowds and the banging on the boards was close to deafening. Ten-year-old Lucy Kirby, who'd come into Worcester with her mum Joanne, said, That was amazing. I didn't know they'd go so fast. I don't know if I'd want to do it myself. It looked pretty scary. And after the presentations on the podium to the stage winner, Emily Dicker-Rickson, and the jersey holders, with the USA rider Corin Rivera retaining the leader's green jersey into the final stage, the race crew swooped into action, tearing it all down. Within a couple of hours of the riders crossing the line, all the barriers, finish line, infrastructure and race village were nearly packed away, ready to be driven to Dolgathley in north-west Wales for the final stage, which finishes in Colwyn Bay on Sunday. Worried residents say that a fire which destroyed a Worcester property could have spread to their homes and they fear vandals are targeting the area. One elderly resident said she was left petrified after a garden shed and fence caught fire at a home left empty for nearly a year in Oldbury Road, St John's. Ten-foot-high flames reduced the fence and shed to ashes at the back of the empty home which neighbours say had been unoccupied for at least 10 months. An 82-year-old woman, who did not want to be named, said the flames and smoke left her afraid her garden and garage could have been burnt down. She said that vandals were targeting the area and that an overgrown lane, which prevents residents from driving to their garages, could cause any future fires to spread. The woman who lives alone said... I could just see all of this black smoke coming from the garden. 
The flames were way over the fence. A neighbour called the fire brigade. I'm just so worried it could have happened to me. My garden is at the back and it could have easily spread over to here and then I don't know what I would have done. I would have been in a lot of trouble. She added, I used to be able to get my car down the lane and look at it now. You can hardly walk down with all this. I don't know why they've let it get such a mess. The lane off Oldbury Road runs between some of the gardens in Howard Road and a playing field. The house where the fire happened was recently targeted by vandals who smashed the windows. The front and back downstairs windows have since been boarded up. Chris Kirk, who has lived in Oldbury Road for two years, became aware of the fire when he saw black smoke rising from the garden whilst walking his dog in the nearby field on June the 12th. He said, The shed was completely ablaze. We're really lucky it didn't spread much further. I think it has done some damage to a few fences on the adjoining gardens, but luckily it didn't reach my garden. I thought it looked like somebody was burning a tyre and some kids who were playing football said how stupid that was and then I had another look and thought it's much more serious than that. Nevertheless, Mr Kirk was concerned his garden could have been engulfed by flames. I've been away most of the weekend and it could easily have spread to my garden. That house and garden have just been left to run to ruin. The grass is so tall in the garden now it would have been up in seconds. I haven't seen anybody live there for ages. A family used to live there and after they moved out about a year ago somebody came in and bought it but it has been empty since. Police told Worcester News they were not treating the fire as suspicious. Emergency services are spending thousands of pounds a year on helping to move obese people from their homes. Figures from the Home Office show that the fire service for Worcestershire attended 31 call-outs for bariatric assistance. It costs thousands of pounds every year to help these people move from their homes, helping ambulance crews to move obese people between April 2012 and March 2017, with the average cost of a call-out for a fire engine totalling £400 and a £200 bill for an ambulance to respond to a 999 call. The 31 call-outs in the last five years have cost the emergency services of a minimum of of about £19,000. While bariatric assistance call-outs represent a small portion of Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Services' 8,000 non-fire incidents over the last two years, the majority of call-outs took more than one hour to resolve. Of those incidents, two took longer than four hours. Firefighters often need lifting equipment and special slings to transport people and sometimes remove windows, walls and banisters. Area Commander Mark Priest, Head of Community Risk and Training at Hereford and Worcester Fire Service said, We are called to a range of incidents and have specialist equipment to respond to a variety of situations which may include bariatric patients. 
We also work with health and social care partners to identify members of the community who may, who may require additional assistance in case of an emergency, enabling us then to put preemptive plans in place. West Midlands Ambulance Service said all of its ambulances are equipped to deal with obese people. It did not provide data relating to the number of obese patients it attends, but said services are allocated relating to the person's medical condition and the fact that they are obese is secondary. A spokesman for the ambulance service said, As an ambulance service, we receive approximately 3,599 calls per day. Calls are received for a wide variety of reasons. They are all treated on an individual basis to ensure the best level of patient care is achieved. The need for firefighter help has increased since 2012 when six call-outs were recorded in 2012-13. to Six were recorded in 2013 to 14, and five were logged in 2014 to 15 and 2015 to 16. A record number of a record number of nine callouts were made in 2016 to 17. The Home Office figures also provide an insight into how many staff and vehicles were used during the move and how long it took. Almost two-thirds of call-outs required more than an hour to move the person in, with between 10 and 19 staff required on four occasions. The increase in call-outs comes alongside a rise in the number of admissions to hospital in South Worcestershire for obesity-related medical conditions. From 4,122 in 2013-14, to 6,174 in 2016 to 17, an increase of almost 50%. A petition has been launched to stop a former Worcester University student from being deported after he was refused a visa. Hemarka Pathiranga, who came to the city in 2011, has remained ever since but was refused a working visa in July 2017 after he did not finish his master's course due to his work as vice president of the student union at the University of Worcester. He challenged the decision, but was given 28 days' notice on Wednesday, June the 13th, to make arrangements to leave the country. If he does not live, leave, he could be deported. A petition to keep him in the country has already gained more than 1,400 signatures. His supporters say he is a great asset to the city, coaching a blind cricket team and volunteering in many roles. Friend Rachel Bayliss, who started the petition, said, This petition has been started to try and get the Home Office to look at Hemi's case on an individual basis, as he's a hard-working, kind and honest person who has complied with everything they've put to him. Hemarka Pathiranja came to the UK from Sri Lanka in September 2011 to study a sports coaching science degree at the University of Worcester. On completion of his degree, he then began his Masters in Sports Coaching, which he was unable to finish with his commitments to the Student Union. 
Due to this, his visa sponsorship was stopped from the university. Since then, Hemi has applied for a working visa through all the right pathways, only to receive a visa refusal letter in July 2017, stating that his claim was, quote, clearly unfounded, end of quotes, despite him being a model citizen with a large community involvement and high profile within his community in his student union and cricket club. Following this, he sent a human rights claim to the Home Office, hoping to gain more time to find a right pathway to stay. And for the last 11 months, he's lived on the edge, not knowing when he'll receive a letter telling him if he can stay and work in the place he now calls home. Finding a job with his qualifications wasn't difficult, but finding one with visa sponsorship has proved a challenge. Due to his visa status, he has been holding down two part-time jobs at a nightclub and a cafe to cover living costs. And since receiving the 28-day notice, he has no rights at all to work in the UK, yet he is expected to have the money for flights back to Sri Lanka. Hemi coaches junior, senior, women's and blind cricket on a voluntary basis and is the captain of the city cricket club Old Elizabethan's first team. While at the university, he was a student ambassador, event ambassador, receptionist, breathe easy stroke smoke-free advisor, green impact project supervisor and university facilities assistant. As vice president, he brought the Take a Stand campaign started by British universities and college sports to Worcester which aims to eradicate any form of discrimination in sport. He is also a member of the Worcester News Camera Club, and readers may have seen his pictures featured in the pages. A university spokesman said, Emeka Pitharanja is a very valued member of the University of Worcester community as an alumnus. Following his undergraduate degree, Hemi spent two years representing his fellow students as the elected vice president of the Worcester Students' Union, responsible for societies and activities. His hard work and positive personality made him a very popular member of the university community. During this time, Hemi's community voluntary and sporting activities also established him as a very popular member of the wider Worcester community, we very much hope that the, that the Home Office treats Hemi's case with compassion. A Home Office spokesman said, Mr Pathiranj's previous leave to remain in the UK expired in January 2016. In July 2017, he did submit a further application under human rights legislation on the basis of his private and family life in the UK. All applications are carefully considered on their individual merits. As Mr Pathiranj's application has been refused, he should now be making arrangements to leave the UK. Mr Pathiranj would be able to appeal the decision from outside the country. And there is a petition, which I won't actually go into the email. And that um, concludes the headline stories for this week so i'm going to ask judith to tell us the first of the general news thank you thank you liz <clears throat> after more than a century serving the city of worcester 
an iconic family business is set to change hands. Lanny's, a name synonymous with ice cream in the Worcester area and later well known as a catering business, will leave the hands of the city family after 112 years. The changes come as Lorraine Burroughs, known as Laney, will retire after 33 years. Mrs Burroughs, 65, said, I would do it all over again, all 30 years of it. It is very sad, but I think it is time to give it up. I want to retire and look after my grandchildren. She added, I am really proud that Lannis has been in the city for more than a century. It has been great to serve the people of Worcester. It is going to be a sad time. The business was set up by her husband, Lindsay's great-grandfather, Italian Francesco Lanni, and that's um, L-A-N-N-I. The E was added later in 1906. He left Casino near Naples in the 1880s or 1890s to seek a new life in England. He toured the streets of the black country with a barrel organ and it was while making his living in this way that he met and married Sarah Jane Morgan. They decided to make their home in Worcester, living first in Pheasant Street, but later moving to what was to become the base of Lanny's ice cream empire for many years, number one, Seven Terrace, the corner building alongside the Pitchcroft car park entrance, now Ostler's Restaurant. He was known to serve ice cream in Worcester and its nearby towns on his pony and trap with a colourful red and white striped canopy. Mr and Mrs Burroughs, who have two daughters, Vicky, aged 34, and Shelley, aged 43, as well as grandchildren, Charlie, 13, Amelia, 7, and Lola, 3, took over the business in the mid-80s. It was very successful selling ice cream from vans around Worcester and Malvern for many years. They had contracts with Worcestershire County Cricket Club, Malvern Hills Conservation Sites, as well as three pitches in the city. The couple decided to stop making ice cream in the early 2000s and concentrated on a hot food business, which has been thriving in the city centre until the present day. Speaking on the change, Mrs Burroughs said, I think it was coming to the end. We needed all new machinery, so we gave it up. Lannis was situated in High Street, Worcester, for two decades before moving to Bank Street. Later, Mr Burroughs bowed out of the enterprise, leaving it in Mrs Burroughs's hands. Daughter Vicky said, My mum has made the big and very sad decision that she will be retiring. This has brought great sadness to our family and it will be the end of a fantastic family business. However, at 65, I think my mum has served for long enough and we're all happy that she has finally made the decision to retire. I know that she will be greatly missed by all her customers. On July the 7th, after 112 years, the Lannis business will be taken over by Colin Luke. Boris Johnson posed for selfies with shocked revellers after making a surprise tea time visit to the city centre on Friday the 15th of June. The Foreign Secretary was stopped by around 
25 pub-goers who wanted pictures with him after they spotted him walking through the city at about four o'clock. He was on his way from the corn market to a meeting at the Elgar restaurant in Reindeer Court, where he spoke to around 70 Conservative Party members, young activists and a few business owners. MP for Worcester Robin Walker said, It was nice to get him into the city. He came into the corn market and he must have been stopped by about 25 people from various pubs for selfies. Mr Walker said Mr Johnson was in the city to talk to the Conservative Association, adding it was something the party organised. He was in Gloucestershire earlier in the day. He came by in, came by in support of me, really. It was a gathering at the Elgar restaurant of about 70 people. He did a quick speech and a Q&A. He was talking about having just come from Peru and representing the UK around the world. He was talking about why we need to keep a Conservative government and why it's so important for the party to pull together during the past few weeks. He said he was glad to be back in Worcester. He last came just before the referendum in six ways. Mr Walker said Mr Johnson was asked about the North Korean talks and gave a detailed answer on what we know and what we don't know. He added, The questions were all quite general about his life in the Foreign Office. I was also able to introduce him to Aladissa, Deputy Mayor, and our new Gorse Hill Councillor, Mohammed Al-Taf. And there are some photographs. Nobody could miss Boris Johnson walking down the high street with uh, Robin Walker. Uh, Boris sporting a blue tie. Strangely enough, Robin seems to have a red one. But uh, they're the usual handshaking and uh, general sort of uh, jollifications going on. (laughs) Thank you for the description, Audrey. People will be helped with the cost of kits to deter thieves, thanks to the Police and Crime Commissioner for West Mercia, John Campion. Mr Campion has told Worcestershire County Councils councillors that he will meet 25% of the costs of supplying smart water kits used for marking property with a substance that makes it easier to recover stolen goods. And he wants more county councillors to take him up on the offer. He said, Across West Mercia we have already seen great successes with smart water proving to work. And I would like to see this continue across the rest of our communities. Many people that have used smart water and are now living in a we-don't-buy-crime town are feeling more reassured and have commented on how there is now a more enhanced community spirit. This offer will not only contribute to reducing crime, but will provide a further opportunity for us all to work together and to make our communities feel safer. The rest of the money for the kits would have to be found by county councillors from their divisional funds, which they have discretion to spend. There should be a better take-up of this than there has been. Smart water works by leaving a long-lasting mark which is invisible except under ultraviolet black light. It contains a code which can be used to trace the owners of an item if it has been stolen and recovered by police. And with it comes a sign, a a blue background, yellow edging, Thieves Beware Smart Water Forensic Systems in Use, which can be put on windows. So that's um, a bit of an anti-theft 
service that um, perhaps you can be aware of. Her Royal Highness Princess Anne is set to visit Worcester Racecourse next month as the venue celebrates the 300th anniversary of racing in the city. The Princess Royal is well connected with Worcester Racecourse, having ridden a winner in the three-mile Droitwich Handicap Chase on her own horse, Crockdan Quill, on September 3rd, 1987. The visit is set to take place on Wednesday July the 4th. This is alongside the revival of the famous Worcester Grand Annual Steeplechase, which is returning to Worcester Racecourse after an absence of 85 years. Once one of the most important steeplechase races in the National Hunt calendar, the Worcester Grand Annual Steeplechase ran from 1836 until 1933. The importance of this race was highlighted in 1853 when Borton won the Grand Annual, then going on to win the 1854 running of the Grand National at Aintree. Worcester Racecourse Executive Director Jenny Cheshire said, With a visit from the Princess Royal, the revival of the Worcester Grand Annual and a special anniversary dinner in our marquee on July the 4th in aid of the Injured Jockeys Fund, the IJF, our anniversary race day is set to be a fitting celebration for a race course with such an illustrious past. As one of the oldest race courses in the UK, the first race meeting hosted at the site in the heart of Worcester City Centre, known as Pitchcroft, took place on the 27th of June, 1718. In the racecourse's 300-year history, there has been everything from a bare-knuckle fight watched by a crowd of 30,000 to a record 229 runners on an eight-car race card in January 1965. The Injured Jockeys Fund has helped over 1,000 jockeys and their families and has paid out more than £18 million in charitable assistance. It is the brainchild of John Oaksey and came about following the devastating accidents of Tim Brookshaw and, four months later, Paddy Farrell in the 1964 Grand National, which ended both their careers. Worcester City has been dealt a double blow with midfielders Nathan Hayward and Robbie Bunn backing out of deals to sign. Summer recruit Bunn is expected to link up with his former manager Paul Smith at Midland Football League rivals Highgate United, with Hayward understood to be heading to City's landlord Bromsgrove Sporting. Manager John Snape is refusing to push the panic button now, revealing Hayward's terms had been agreed with the caveat that he could talk to higher-ranked clubs. The 26-year-old made 42 appearances in his first season at City, missing only seven league matches despite being blighted by a knee injury towards the end of the campaign. Hayward spoke of wanting to repay the faith of his manager and show commitment to the City but Snape insists the departure was handled correctly. 
Nathan put pen to paper a couple of weeks ago, but we discussed the possibility of him playing higher at this time, said Snape. We agreed that he would continue to be free to have the option to be speaking to other clubs to progress his career, and I've since had a phone call to say he would be looking to take an opportunity elsewhere. He's been up front about the situation and would be more than welcome back at the club if things don't come to fruition. Bunn's acquisition was particularly welcome at the back of losing dual-registered Brad Birch to Starbridge, but with both parties lauding ex-sporting manager Smith's influence over this switch to Worcester City, it comes as a little surprise that the pair will join forces again at Highgate. He finished last season at Littleton, where his father Wayne Bunn has been assistant manager following the termination by mutual consent of his contract at Bromsgrove in March. Having made 36 appearances and scored 13 goals at the Victoria ground, his exit came in the immediate aftermath of Smith's resignation. These efforts were not wasted as the Rouselers went on to seal the Midland Football League Championship 12 months after lifting the Division 1 crown with an unbeaten league record, a campaign which saw Bunn contribute 10 goals in 47 matches. Robbie has advised me he would like to play elsewhere, said Snape. It comes on the back of a managerial appointment elsewhere, so it's not necessarily a surprise. There is disappointment, of course, but Aaron White, the city scout, has already been in touch with a number of contacts and will be looking for replacements in the very near future and during the pre-season. There was always the proviso with Robbie and I only want to concentrate on people who want to play for Worcester City. Now, Worcestershire Rapids suffered an agonising defeat as they exited the Royal London One Day Cup semi-finals for the second successive season. South African opener Haino Kuhn steered Kent Spitfires into their first Lords final in 10 years with 127 runs as they overcame Rapids by just two wickets at Blackford Finch New Road. Spitfires chased down a 307 target with two balls to spare to overshadow 122 not out by Rapids wicketkeeper Ben Cox. Kuhn was supported by keeper Rouse, 70, and Alex Blake, 61, as Spitfires recovered from 31 for three. He was dismissed off the third ball of the final over with four still needed for victory but Harry Podmore smashed the next delivery from Pat Brown over the boundary. Worcestershire opted to bat after Callum Ferguson, deputising as captain for injury-hit Joe Leach, won the toss. But Rapids' former paceman Matt Henry had George Rhodes, too, caught at second slip. Ferguson had scored 192 and 159 not out in the cup, but made only 13 before being trapped LBW by Podmore. Then Darren Stevens, 2 for 33, forced Joe Clark, 23, to loft a catch to Henry at mid-on and bowled Darrell Mitchell, 4, to leave Rapids on a 48 for 4 in the 14th over. 
Brett D'Oliveira and Cox gradually started to blossom, although the former, on 45, survived a stumping chance. He went to his half-century of 65 balls, a milestone reached in three fewer deliveries by Cox. D'Oliveira, 78, then drilled Denley for the first six in the 38th over, but in the same over he fell to a one-handed couch by Henry at Longon after adding 140 in 24 overs with Cox. Ross Whiteley, four, was bowled by Podmore on 199 for six in the 41st over, but Cox and Ed Barnard plundered 107 runs from the final 9.4 overs to take Rapids past 300. Barnard hit two sixes in an over from Henry in his 28-ball half-century. Cox brought up his century in the final over from Callum Haggart, which cost 26 runs and ended unbeaten on 122 from 106 balls with two sixes and 14 fours. Kent's reply began with a clutter of early wickets. Rapids rookie Dylan Pennington struck in each of his first overs by bowling Daniel Bell Drummond won and having skipper Joe Denley for naught caught at mid-off. It became 38 for three when D'Oliveira's first over accounted for Sean Dixon, eight, who drilled a catch to short cover. Coon and Rouse rebuilt the innings with a century stand, although both had let-offs when on 50. Mitchell failed to hold on to a low-return catch from Coon and Rouse was well short, attempting a second run when D'Oliveira failed to gather a low throw from Barnard cleanly. But then Rapids took two quick wickets. Rouse, having lasted 88 balls with six fours, hit Mitchell to Rhodes at mid-off and Stevens, 10, nicked a brown delivery with Cox pulling off a fine catch. Coon found another able partner in Blake and Spitfires entered the last 10 overs needing 101 for victory. The 34-year-old went to three figures from 99 balls with a six and seven fours. Blake smote Barnard for two sixes in an over to bring up a 40-ball half-century, but Barnard ended his knock-on 61 when Blake was caught by D'Oliveira at long-off. D'Oliveira then held on to Henry, eight, at third man off Barnard, to leave Spitfires needing 16 off the last two overs. 11 were needed from the final over by Brown, and Coon smashed a straight six off the second ball. He had made 127 of 118 balls with two sixes and eight fours when he fell to the next delivery at mid-wicket. But Podmore hit Brown over cover to break the hearts of rapid supporters. Uh, some more cricket news. Uh, Worcestershire skipper Joe Leach had been ruled out for the rest of the 2018 season with a stress fracture of his back. A CT scan confirmed the county's worst fears after Leach felt soreness in his back during Rapids' crucial Royal London One Day Cup win over Warwickshire at Edgebaston last Thursday. It is a second injury setback in the week for Worcestershire with paceman Josh Tung sidelined until mid-August after an MRI scan revealed a stress response in a metatarsal in his left foot. Worcestershire Head of Sports Science and Medicine, Ben Davis, confirmed 
Joe felt some soreness during the Warwickshire game and an MRI scan showed inflammation around the 15 region of the lumbar spine. He then had a CT scan which unfortunately showed a stress fracture in that region and he will miss the rest of the season. It will now be a case of resting and then rehab for Joe with the aim of making a complete recovery. Sharp said, It is a big blow and Joe is gutted and quite upset at the minute. He has played such a major part for the club over the last few years. It is like his life. Bowling is a very physical job. Joe has had very few injuries, but very rarely do bowlers go through their career without some sort of injury. We now have to regroup a bit. We have lost our captain for the rest of the season and we will have a think about things and sort that out. The lads will also be gutted, but there is a great spirit in this squad. It means there will be an opportunity for others that might not have had one. We want the lads to stand up and be counted, and I'm sure they will. Leach amassed 193 county championship wickets between 2015 and 17, and finished in the top 10 of the PCA's most valuable player rankings in all three seasons. He is again in the top five wicket takers in Division 1 this season, with 23 victims at 22.08 runs apiece. A petition has been launched causing for the calling for the archives of composer Edward Elgar to be kept in Worcestershire. The Elgar Foundation, responsible for the archives, recently decided to move them to the British Library in London from the Elgar Birthplace Museum in Broadheath. The petition has been launched by County Councillor Lucy Hodgson and a letter backing the campaign and signed by MPs and eminent uh, supporters of Elgar appeared in the Times on Saturday. Councillor Hodgson says that the collection should be at the Hive under the care of Worcestershire Archive and Archaeological Service. She said, We don't want to lose these archives and we're very disappointed by the Foundation's decision to locate them over a 100 miles away in London. Elgar was born here in Worcestershire and died here, and this county was the inspiration behind most of his work. We really hope that as many people as possible will support our petition and hope the Foundation will listen and keep these archives where they belong. The Worcestershire Symphony Orchestra originally established with the help of Sir Edward Elgar over a hundred years ago, recently performed his cello concerto in St Martin's Church, Worcester, under the baton of musical director Keith Slade, with Worcester's own Richard Jenkinson as soloist. Mr Slade said, Elgar is a huge part of our heritage in Worcestershire. He was born here, he lived here and he died here. And in the words of his daughter Caris, Worcestershire was everything to him. The emotional experience of studying his scores while being surrounded by elements that inspired Elgar to compose those great works is hugely powerful. The petition calls on the trustees to meet with representatives from the County Council, the University 
and other interested parties to revisit their decision as soon as possible and to consider that the archives are moved instead to the hive. A new group has been set up to support Worcestershire people affected by blood cancer. The Worcester Haematology Support Group has been set up by Leukaemia Care, a national charity based in Worcester, which provides advice and support to anybody who has been affected by blood cancer. Leukaemia Care is a charity committed to ensuring that anyone affected receives the right information, advice and support. As well as support groups, the charity has a helpline and an informative website and to organise patient and carer conferences, nurse education days, cancer campaigning and circulating accredited cancer information and literature. The support group is open to Worcester patients as well as their family and friends. The first meeting of the group is being held, was being held um, actually um, this evening, Thursday, at Leukaemia Care Headquarters, 1 Birch Court, Blackpool East. Representatives from seven freewheelers, the unsung volunteers, which provide a free out-of-hours courier service transporting blood each year, were also going to attend the meeting and give a talk to group members. Nikki Bate, who coordinates the support groups for Leukaemia Care, said, Our support groups are a great opportunity for patients and their loved ones to meet others in a similar situation. We're looking forward to the ongoing development of the Worcester Support Group. Anyone who wants to join or find out more can call the helpline on 08088-010-444. Around 100 mobile phones were donated to a charity supporting victims of domestic abuse after an appeal in the Worcester News. West Mercia Women's Aid, WMWA, had asked people to donate old mobile phones to be given to women fleeing abusive homes. Joanna Midgley, Worcestershire County Manager at WMWA, said, It's for independence and safety reasons. They need a phone for their own security and to be able to phone for help if they need to. She welcomed the response since we featured the appeal for old mobiles and SIM cards. Miss Midgley said, It's been really good. A few have been given out at each refuge and quite a few are ready to be given and quite a few are ready to be given out. Some companies have donated anonymously and County Hall has been brilliant. Victims have often have to leave their phones behind for safety reasons. Miss Midgley said, Phones can be tracked and monitored, and if someone is in an abusive relationship, they might not be allowed to have a phone. The questions we ask are, Can you phone for help if you need to? Is spyware on the phone? Is it being tracked? Sometimes we advise that they leave that phone behind. WMWA is also asking for donations for two new projects. Happy Holiday plans to organise a range of holiday activities for the women and children using their services. 
Many clients can't afford to enjoy fun activities with their children and donations will pay for them to be taken to places such as Dudley Zoo and to meet Santa. Miss Midgley said, It is important for them to have a break and to make some memories. The charity is also keen to raise money to refurbish their refuges as they can often be busy places that quickly show signs of wear and tear. Poor tarmac on a section of a £1.2 million scheme to prevent flooding in New Road had to be replaced this week, a month after it opened. The stretch of road was reduced to a single lane for four and a half months in a bid to prevent flooding, with the work completed nine days late on May the 16th. But highway chiefs were forced to take action on Monday evening after many drivers driving through the city centre complained the road surface was worse than before. Worcestershire County Council said the substandard road resurfacing came at no cost to the authority and caused no disruption to cars. Richard Gale wrote to the Worcester News to say he was somewhat surprised by how rough the brand new tarmac surface was and that he thought something was wrong with his car's suspension. On the Worcester News website, Mad Dave said he couldn't believe what he was seeing when the road was being resurfaced late on Monday evening. As you came out of town, the right lane was having the top layer of tarmac burnt off it. This morning it's been all resurfaced and the yellow lines repainted. Afraid it's the blind leading the blind, the new tarmac that they laid less than a month ago, and I don't just mean half an inch, they took a big chunk off the top surface for the length of the road. Also on our website, Arthur Brenkinsop said he thought he had a flat tyre the first time he drove along New Road. Motorists commenting on our Facebook page were also critical. Simon Turner said, Absolutely agree. The road surface is awful. It's like driving over rumble strips. Mike Priest added, This is embarrassing. Took this long to raise the road and you can't make the thing flat and it feels like you've got four flat tyres. Charlotte Giles, again on our Facebook page, said, Thought it was my car too. I can feel my wheel shaking. Rebecca Ryland said her car shook like a jelly when she was driving on New Road. Andy Mitchell said he felt sick driving over the newly surfaced road. Kate Wilkinson said, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Genuinely thought the same since I've been driving that way again. A council spokesman said, a section of substandard road surface was replaced overnight on Monday, June the 18th, at no cost to the authority and with no disruption to the traffic. Sidbury has become a little greener with the planting of 160 new shrubs in a bid to enhance the local amenity and improve air quality in one of the busiest areas of the city centre. Worcester resident Robert Yule, who lives in St Peter's Court, Barclay Homes block of apartments in Sidbury, approached Worcester City Council to see if something could be done to improve the area in front of the flats. Staff from the City Council removed a sterile mix of, of tarmac, 
bare soil and paving slabs to create a soft landscaped area in front of St Peter's Court. They planted 160 shrubs, including lavender, Spanish gorse, a flowering type of grass called blue fescu, viburnum and escalonia. He said, This area had become rather unkempt, so we were pleased when Worcester City Council decided to enhance the area. The trees and shrubbery that have been planted and the new seat and waste bin that have been provided are a decided improvement on this prominent site on one of the main approaches to the city. Full marks to the City Council. Councillor Japarias, Bear of Worcester, who helped ensure the improvements were made, said, I am impressed with the work and dedication of the operational staff who carried out this work to improve the street scene in Worcester with a great deal of care. Feedback from the local community has been very positive. A festival celebrating Worcester's river and canals is taking place over the next 10 days. Art, music, dance, poetry, food and drink will feature in the festival, held at South Quay on a purpose-built shimmering pavilion. The Weirgoran Pavilion was created by architecture and design studio Neon as part of the kit of the Ring Arts Programme, which has been running this spring and will continue through the summer. Cathy Major, Artistic Director of the Ring Arts, said, Rivers and waterways can be great places for art, visual art and music. They are not used for industry anymore, so the art are a good way to enjoy rivers. The festival will bring together the flavours of Worcester, and the stage is inspired by the winding river. We really want to bring things that the public will be interested in, intrigued and surprised by. Among the varied line of artists will be a beat boxer who appeared on ITV's Britain's Got Talent. Dave Crow from Ledbury has performed in Japan since appearing on the popular TV programme. He headlined the opening performances with a lively mix of funk and beatbox sounds. Mr Crow said, The waterways of this beautiful landscape have linked the communities for millennia, yet they reflect at all times the vastness of the skies that bring us the water flow needed to have such a precious link with one another. Mark Nixon from Neon said, the stage was inspired by waterways and the architecture lining the riverbanks. There's these amazing curved walls. The stage also mimics the atmospheric effect of the top of the water and makes you feel like you are immersed in water. A major new exhibition at Worcester's Museums and Art, uh, Museum and Art Gallery launches today. Uh, sorry, it launched was launched on uh, Saturday the 16th. Sorry, I made a mistake there. Ice Age at the Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum celebrates a million years of Worcestershire's history from the time our ancestors, ancestors arrived until the end of the last Ice Age 12,000 years ago. The exhibition started with a day of family-themed activities and runs until September 
the 8th, 2018. Commenting on the exhibition, a museum and art gallery spokesman said, Over this enormous time span, there were many changes in climate, from woolly mammoths roaming icy tundra in Bromsgrove to prehistoric lions hunting the grasslands beneath Breeden Hill. The West Midlands was covered by hundreds of metres of ice which stretched all the way to Siberia. Then the collapse of the bridge between Britain and Europe formed the English Channel and made Britain an island. It was against this backdrop of change that our ancestors first appeared in Britain. The exhibition includes the oldest man-made artefact in the West Midlands, the bones of the last mammoth found in Northern Europe and the first geological map of Great Britain produced in 1815 by William Smith and known as the map that changed the world. Many of the objects come from Worcester Art Gallery and Museum's own collections as it is the eighth oldest collecting museum in the country. The spokesman added, While full of Ice Age facts, the exhibition is full of fun too. Visitors to Ice Age can come face to face with a Neanderthal, climb inside our Ice Age shelter and meet Fluffy, the woolly mammoth. The exhibition opened with a day of family activities and runs through the school holidays with special events and activities until the, until the exhibition ends on September the 8th. Curator of Ice Age, Deborah Fox, was confident the exhibition would be a success. She said, This is such an exciting opportunity to focus on this little explored part of our prehistory. The exhibition includes real artefacts of almost unimaginable antiquity from Worcester's own natural history, geology and archaeology collections, as well as objects gathered from across the region. It's going to be lots of fun from story time in our Ice Age shelter to a DIY cave art today. The Ice Age exhibition is part of Lost Landscapes, a joint project between Worcestershire Archive and Archaeology section and Museums Worcestershire, funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund and the Arts Council England. Lost Landscapes tells the story of Worcestershire's Ice Age and the people who made a home in these harsh, dynamic and ever-changing landscapes over the last 500,000 years until the end of the last Ice Age 12,000 years ago. Lost Landscapes brings this little-known period of our prehistory to life through the Ice Age exhibition at the Art Gallery and Museum, the the Origins of Us exhibition at The Hive, and an art installation through the mists of time also at The Hive. Ice Age is free and open Monday to Friday, 10.30 to 4.30. For more information, you can call the Art Gallery and Museum on 01905 25371. And there are some pictures of a little girl being shown uh, fluffy, <laughs> the woolly mammoth. It's absolutely towering above her with enormous tusks. Quite a sight to see. Okay. And now another road story, which... 
Questions have been raised over why it will take so long to duel the A440 ring road after a new section of a railway bridge was completed. Mike Kent, 68, said he was alarmed after being told by a councillor that money had not yet been secured to complete the duelling of the Crookbarrow Way section between the Norton and Whittington roundabouts. Mr Kent lives in St Peter's and uses the road every day on his way to his job in Gloucester. He said, This road is a real bottleneck and it's been like this for six years now. There are always traffic problems. We were told the plan was to duel the road, then put in the new railway bridge and duel the road underneath it. That was the plan as it was explained to us. But now it seems that we're going to have to wait for that last part to happen. Mr Kent wrote to county councillors and received a reply from Councillor Ken Pollock, the the county authority's cabinet member for economy and infrastructure. It said, This duelling will also cost a lot and there is also the need for another bridge alongside the rail bridge for pedestrian, cycle and horse traffic. We are waiting for funds mainly from developers to give us the wherewithal to complete the job. This should not be unduly delayed. Mr Kent said, I don't know if I'm missing something, but I'm staggered by this. Why aren't they rushing to get it finished? Why start without knowing where the money was coming from to finish the project? For the sake of about 150 metres of road that's not duelled, my neighbours and I and lots of other people We'll have to put up with more congestion on that stretch of road. It feels like the last straw, to be honest. Councillor Pollock added, We have the money for the next phase of the whole work, which is to duel the road between the Ketch and Poic roundabouts and build a new bridge alongside the Carrington Bridge. We've got the £64 million funding for that and it should all be done by 2021. We want to do the road under the railway bridge in parallel, but we haven't yet got the funding sources in place, so can't start until we know where the money is coming from. There is work currently happening near to the Carrington Bridge, which is to move an electricity pylon so a new bridge can be built. Complaints have been made about the number of cars parked illegally on a busy road near Worcester's Mosque. At least seven cars, including three city taxis, were pictured parked on double yellow lines in Tallow Hill, blocking the pavement and a cycle lane last week. The cars were parked on the busy city road at around 9.30pm, when many people were breaking their daylight fast during Ramadan. Councillor Jabarias, who represents Cathedral Ward, said the issue had not been raised with him recently, but Ramadan was not an excuse for drivers to be parking next to the mosque illegally. Of course you have a major festival going on at the mosque, but that is no excuse to be parking illegally, he said. Parking on yellow lines is not only blocking the pavement, but also blocking the cycle lane. It is not only causing an obstruction, but it is dangerous. I think the drivers are just being lazy, really. There is a public car park just down the road, and I'm sure there would be have been spaces on there. Councillor Riaz, 
who said he had patrolled the road himself earlier this year and had stopped between 15 to 20 cars from parking in and around Tallow Hill in one lunchtime. The Worcester City Council has said it has been in conversation with mosque leaders regarding parking. A spokesman for the City Council said, We are aware of parking problems in this area and have issued fines on several occasions. We are liaising with the local community, including the mosque, to remind drivers that they need to park legally. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association recently announced plans to build a new mosque in Stanley Road, with demand and space cited as key reasons for the mu- for the move. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association said it must move to accommodate its growing number of worshippers, saying the site in Tallow Hill will not be sufficient for the city's Muslim population in the next five to ten years. Fooders had fun in the sun as they looked around more than a hundred stalls at Droitwich Spa's Food and Drink Festival. The festival kicked off at the town's Lido Park on on Saturday the 16th, with the official opening by Bake Off finalist Stephen Bailey Carter and Nigel Huddleston, MP. There were more than 100 food and drink stores offering a wide variety of products, with 90% of them produced within a 30-mile radius of Droitwich. Entertainment in the bandstand featured local singers, bands and choirs, including Jamie Knight, Richard Leach's jazz band, Droitwich Community Choir and Acorn Antiques Ukulele Band. A children's play area included a bouncy castle, a vegetable theatre with Madame Zucchini from Britain's Got Talent, face painting and a pedal-your-own smoothie bike. The event was organised by a committee of volunteers with support from Witchhaven District Council and Droitwich Town Council and local businesses. Festival organiser Patrick Davis said the event had once again been a big success. He said... We have had 106 stalls this year. We won the Visit Worcestershire Award last year for the best festival. The best testimony to it is the amount of people who attend. This really is a community event. There's something for the whole family. The people of Droitwich always support us. When I set up the festival in the first place, supporting local businesses was always my main theme. Josie Taylor on the Blue Cross Charity Fundraising Store said, We've had a good day. The weather has been good. We had a couple of showers, but nothing heavy. We've been before, and we always do really well. Eleanor Clifford from Chateau Impney Hill Climb said, We've had a really successful day. We have a good relationship with the food festival organisers who support us. Droitwich Salt, which has set up to sell pure brine salt in Droitwich for the first time in nearly a century, last year also had a stall. Neil Hansen, Droitwich Salt's general manager, added, You just need the weather on your side to get the crowds. People have been coming up to us all day. It's a great opportunity to show people what we're about. 
Cathedral is calling on knitters to grow a garden which will commemorate a hundred years since the end of the First World War. Worcester Cathedral's creative garden will begin to take shape in the coming weeks and it is hoped it will expand throughout the autumn in time for Remembrance Day in November when poppies will be added. The garden is the idea of Julie Smith who works in the cathedral shop. Mrs Smith said, We want to inspire people to join us to knit or crochet all sorts of colourful flowers, vegetables and small creatures to be displayed in the cloister. We are organising a series of formal and informal workshops over the coming months for people, including families, to attend and get involved. All money raised from the project will go towards developing the cathedral's medieval undercroft to provide a permanent base for the cathedral's award-winning education programme. 160 men attended a prostate cancer screening event at Worcester Racecourse, as statistics reportedly show the county has the UK's highest incident rate of the disease. Worcester News is backing a campaign to raise £30,000 for Worcestershire's Prostate Awareness Group, which has already screened 4,000 men for dangerous PSA levels. Worcestershire's 1,000th man this year was tested on Monday at the Worcestershire Ambassadors Sponsored Event, which saw former England players Steve Bull and Tony Woodcock also in attendance and included a screening of the England versus Tunisia football match. Retired oncologist surgeon David Baxter-Smith founded the WPAG in 2014 as part of his nationwide scheme to encourage men to get their PSA levels tested. He said, I've recently heard a statistic that Worcestershire has the highest incidence of prostate cancer in the country. I think that's my fault because I go all around Worcestershire finding all these incidents. He said men's willingness to undertake a PSA test has seen a massive increase over the last year, citing an event in Droitwich this year which saw double the attendees as 2017 as an example. His campaign has led to 96,000 blood tests being undertaken taken across the UK with one in eight being diagnosed with the disease. In the case of prostate cancer, diagnose it early, treat it, and you can cure it. The biggest problem is trying to diagnose it early, unlike some cancers. But at least the simple blood test can act as an indicator. If a man has an abnormal level of PSA in his blood, It says to people that there could be something wrong. Dr Baxter Smith said part of the battle is encouraging men to break from the masculine stereotype of refusing to look after themselves. He said, it's not a manly thing to admit you might have a problem with your health that you can't cope with and you've got to get help. The ultimate aim is for government support. We want a national screening programme where the Department of Health pulls every man over 45 into their GP for a blood test. It would put me out of business, but I wouldn't mind that, said Dr Baxter-Smith.
And that is the last item of news for this week. Thank you, Judith. So um, we're going to conclude with obituaries, the thought for the day and the birthdays. So, uh, Malcolm Beddows of Green Lane, Rainbow Hill, passed away on May the 31st. His funeral service will have taken place today, June 21st. Donations, if desired for cancer research, may be left, um, may be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Funerals still to take place. Philip Colin Wallace passed away on the 28th of May. His funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, June the 25th at 1pm. Donations to the Wild Goose Rural Training Centre, Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, The Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. No dark colours to be worn by request. Marlene Middleton passed away May the 12th. A service to celebrate her life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, June 26th at 10am. Donations for Dogs Trust will be gratefully received or could be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Tony Amphlett passed away May 30th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, June 26th at 11.30am. Donations for Cancer Research UK can be sent to E.J. Gummery and Sud details as before. Robert Henry Dongworth passed away May 30th. Funeral service on Wednesday, June the 27th at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm. Inquiries to Hoskins Family Funeral Services, 129 Astwood Road, Worcester, WR388 HD or uh, on 01905-27862. Janet Mary Cole, formerly of Elmfield Gardens, passed away on June the 6th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, June the 27th at 11.30am. Donations for Alzheimer's Research UK can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Dennis Armis passed away June the 7th. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, June the 28th at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left in box or sent to Worcester Funeral Service, Unit 6, Kilbury Drive, Worcester, WR52NE. And finally, Peter Douglas Hanley, formerly of the Terry Phillips Sound, passed away on the 6th of June. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, June 28th at 2.30pm. Again, donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ, Gumry and Son details as before. Our thoughts and prayers do go out to all of those who have lost loved ones recently and all of those have requested donations rather than flowers. The thought for the day is from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And I'm going to ask Judith now to tell us whose birthday it is this week. Yes, right, two, two birthdays this week. 
um, the 26th of June um, is the birthday of Duncan Wynne. Oh. Who's that? Uh, <laughs> we know. Oh, <laughs> 21 again. Um, it obviously is uh, one of our um, member of our engineering team. And also happy birthday on the 28th of June to Kath Gould. Thank you. Well, a happy birthday, and I hope uh, you have a, a good celebration, and that Duncan has a good celebration too. Yes. So that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I need to thank our engineer John Plush, and um, my fellow readers um, Judith Doherty and Audrey Luxton, and Duncan Wynn is somewhere in the background there. So we're all going to sign off, and hope you have a good week. Bye bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.